Welcome to Craftlit, the podcast for crafters who like books. My name is Heather Wardover, and I'm podcasting here from the glorious Hudson River Valley in the little village of Croton on Hudson, New York. Episode 3, Unit What? Welcome back. It is nice to be recording here on such a glorious spring day. We're going to hit 80 here in Croton today. And uh, everything is green, everything is blooming, and everything is giving me allergies. So I hope you bear with my um, more than usual nasal tone today as we cast. Uh, I wanted to thank all of my commenters and my new listeners. I'm viewing my stats and I'm... Um, Frankly, I'm just really excited. Uh, it was a huge surprise to see how many people are listening, and um, and I hope you're enjoying it. Today we have chapters seven and eight of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. But before we get to that, I wanted to share a couple of things with you. The first is you can, if you go to um, the Craftlit blog, you can click through to purchase a Jane Austen action figure. That's right, I'll, I'll read you the... I'll read you the little blurb that they give on the website, uh, along with some other things that they say about Jane. They do say this five and a quarter inch tall hard vinyl action figure, which I find oxymoronic, comes with a book, Pride and Prejudice, and a writing desk with a removable quill pen. I just couldn't stop laughing. That cracked me up. There are a few other websites I have to share with you, and I think uh, directly or indirectly, all of these came from a friend of mine named uh, Bally. She is a graphic artist, and she's she's really just a spectacular person. And she has this wonderful, completely random habit of sending me funny websites. And once she knew that I liked to knit, she sent me a website, which is eponymous for this episode, youknitwhat.blogspot.com. And it is actually stated at the top of the blog, you knit what? The people who host this site have devoted themselves to finding ridiculous knitted garments, uh, pictures of ridiculous knitted garments on the web. They then post these with commentary. And if you don't like offensive language, you probably shouldn't take a look at this site because there are, there are moments when um, it's just impossible for them to express themselves <laughs> without, without uh, adding some expletives. But when you see the pictures, you kind of understand why. Uh, Unitwhat.blogspot.com unit will only post pictures of published knitted items. That means they don't ever take the, the personal attack route and hit on some poor unsuspecting blogger who just put pictures up of her socks that they happen to think are ugly. They're going after the, the people who are trying to get your money to get you to knit something that's just kind of horrifying. So there's a link to that on my Craftlet blog. There's also a website that came from Bally called stuffonmycat.com. If you have a cat who either you like dressing up or who likes to be dressed up, you could also submit pictures to, um, to this website. Some of the pictures are just hysterical. And the, the funny thing about it is all of the cats seem to be completely unaffected by the various cheerleading uniforms and bags and 
costumes that are placed on them. And that actually takes us back to the origin of the Stuff on Animals picture spree that I'm learning is on the web. Uh, almost three years ago, Bally sent me a picture of a bunny rabbit with a pancake on its head. And I have learned that this little bunny rabbit has since um, gone to a better place. But before leaving us, uh, this bunny made quite the rounds on the internet. Some of you may have already seen this, but I have a link to the original picture of the bunny with a pancake on its head, which I think probably sparked the stuffonmycat.com website. So lots of silliness, good things for a happy spring day. Um, I thought I'd pass that on. I also wanted to share a little bit about my last weekend. I was hoping to be able to take a digital recorder and uh, do some interviews while I was gone this past weekend, but instead I, I just had a ball. I went to my very first spinning retreat, and this was something that I thought was actually impossible. I didn't think it was going to happen. It was a dirty fleece to hat weekend. We started with raw, dirty, Romney wool. We washed it. We dyed it. We fluffed it. We carded it. And that was just Friday afternoon and evening. After that, we got up Saturday morning, started carding in earnest, got the carding done, got the spinning done, got the plying done, all of that by Saturday night. Sunday morning, we woke up, we cast on, and by 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, I had a hat. My friend Tracy finished much earlier. Her, her yarn was a little bit bulkier, and she also started knitting uh, a little bit before me. But nonetheless, the, um, the weekend was an enormous success. Not only was I able to spin more than enough for a hat for my mom, who in part bankrolled my weekend for my birthday present, but um, I also was able to spin a balanced singles, which I have not been able to do prior to Saturday night. So it was a rousing success all the way around, and I really enjoyed myself. The other thing that I learned from going on this retreat is that having a community, whether it's a community of knitters, like I have with the knitting charity that I run here in Croton, or a community of spinners, which I'm starting to acquire slowly, it's so important not just because you learn so much, which you do from being around and watching and listening to other people, but because it's such a, I, I don't know, I think fiber artists, and I'm including all of us, people who use fabric, who make fabric, who use fabric, who knit, who spin, who crochet, everyone who's crafting with their hands, painters, potters, there is something about people who have the need to create that I find so calming and affirming and wonderful and it makes me feel you know on those days when the world just seems completely out of its mind and out of control and like we're all just headed in the wrong direction there is something so calming and gentle about all of the people who I've met at um at spinning retreats at knitting retreats at knitting circles at spinning circles and it's just it's just so nice to know that our community is large, our community is growing, and our community is just a wonderful one. So I wanted to give a big shout out to my team of spinners from the weekend. I had such a ball meeting everyone, 
And especially a big thank you to Claudia of Country Wool, which you can find at countrywool.com. And if you're anywhere in the Northeast, I really recommend visiting Claudia's website, which has a heap of information for you for spinning and knitting. But also consider trekking over to Country Wool or trekking over to one of her um, her retreats. I I found Claudia I have found Claudia on a number of occasions to be so helpful and so funny and such a pleasure to be with. She is one of those people who can explain things a variety of ways and whether you're a visual learner or an audiological learner or someone who requires books, Claudia will be able to explain it to you. And as she says, she may never be able to explain it the same way twice, but she can explain it probably 13 or 14 different ways and and get the information into your head so you can do what you want to do. So a big thank you to Claudia and to all my spinning buddies. Uh, I hope to see some of you at least at Maryland Sheep and Wool this weekend. And now... Pride and Prejudice. Talking about chapters five and six a little bit that we listened to last week, we uh, we had the fun moment where this time Elizabeth got to ding Darcy. Mr. Lucas was about to set Elizabeth up to dance with Darcy, and he was willing, and Elizabeth said, oh, I don't think so, and walks away. And that moment, I don't know, what a lesson for a young girl. Hold your esteem high. Have some pride in yourself. Just because the guy is cute and rich doesn't mean you should go dance with him. Ah, I just love Elizabeth. Now, of course, the, the turning that happens shortly after uh, we find out that Darcy might not be so anti-Elizabeth as before is that he actually says to Miss Bingley, Mr. Bingley's unmarried sister, that he's now kind of interested in Miss Elizabeth Bennet. And then Miss Bingley, showing her true colors, which are not pretty ones, slights Mrs. Bennet and pretty much says, oh yeah, wouldn't it be lovely to have Mrs. Bennet over at your house every weekend? And wouldn't she be a wonderful mother-in-law for you to have? And she's just nasty. And of course, Elizabeth nailed her the first time she saw her because Elizabeth's very bright. Jane still thinks that the Miss Bingleys are quite lovely people, and it's a good thing she feels that way because she's pretty hot on Mr. Bingley. So we learn that one of the wonderful things about uh, watching Darcy and Elizabeth is that they are either going to be kind of subtly and uh, edgily flirting with each other, or they're going to be arguing with each other. And either way, it's just fun to read. It it always reminds me of kind of a, a kinder, gentler Wuthering Heights, that you've got all that electricity going between the two of them, but instead of being nuts the way that Catherine and Heathcliff are, you um, you just get to see some really, really good dialogue. And it, it always makes me think also of, of kind of some of the old movies where they really got the dialogue going fast, like His Girl Friday, which was a, if you don't know, a Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant movie that I can't recommend highly enough. It's It's just wonderful. Or some of the Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy films where they just go at each other and it's so much fun. So I, I think you've probably uh, gotten clear on what the pride is that we're dealing with in the book. Both Elizabeth and Darcy are very prideful people. 
And I think we're pretty clear on prejudice. We're seeing a lot more of it. Um, you've got Darcy's initial prejudice towards Elizabeth, which he seems to be getting over. You have class prejudice. The Bennets are wealthy, but they're not rich. So they're kind of middle, upper middle class. And that puts them in a fairly dangerous spot. We'll learn more about that in chapters seven and eight. And um, we also heard Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy give their assessment of what the perfect woman would be like. And Elizabeth gets to um, show off her liveliness of mind in that section <clears throat> when she comes back at Darcy and Bingley and uh, pretty much says, well, then you're going to be hard-pressed to find a woman like that because I've never seen one. Chapter 7 and 8, I kind of sum up with a few words. Entailment, entrapment, and propriety. Pay attention to entailment. It's, um, it's a little complicated, but it does have important ramifications for the Bennett girls. Entrapment is... Um, it's a lot of fun to watch happen, but it does have some rather dire consequences. And then propriety. Uh, Elizabeth makes some decisions that just give the Bingley sisters in all of their unpleasantness uh, some reasons to say nasty things about her yet again. So, um, so you get to see a little bit more of that. So without further ado, chapters 7 and 8 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Recording by Annie Coleman in St. Louis, Missouri, in December 2005. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen Chapter 7 Mr. Bennet's property consisted almost entirely in an estate of two thousand a year, which, unfortunately for his daughters, was entailed in default of heirs male on a distant relation, and their mother's fortune, though ample for her situation in life, could but ill supply the deficiency of his. Her father had been an attorney in Meryton, and had left her four thousand pounds. She had a sister married to a Mr. Phillips, who had been a clerk to their father and succeeded him in the business, and a brother settled in London in a respectable line of trade. The village of Longbourn was only one mile from Meryton, a most convenient distance for the young ladies, who were usually tempted thither three or four times a week, to pay their duty to their aunt and to a milliner's shop just over the way. The two youngest of the family, Catherine and Lydia, were particularly frequent in these attentions. Their minds were more vacant than their sisters, and when nothing better offered, a walk to Meryton was necessary to amuse their morning hours and furnish conversation for the evening, and however bare of news the country in general might be, they always contrived to learn some from their aunt. At present, indeed, they were well supplied both with news and happiness by the recent arrival of a militia regiment in the neighborhood. It was to remain the whole winter, and Meryton was the headquarters. Their visits to Mrs. Phillips were now productive of the most interesting intelligence. 
Every day added something to their knowledge of the officers' names and connections. Their lodgings were not long a secret, and at length they began to know the officers themselves. Mr. Phillips visited them all, and this opened to his nieces a store of felicity unknown before. They could talk of nothing but officers, and Mr. Bingley's large fortune, the mention of which gave animation to their mother, was worthless in their eyes when opposed to the regimentals of an ensign. After listening one morning to their effusions on this subject, Mr. Bennet coolly observed, "'From all that I can collect by your manner of talking, you must be two of the silliest girls in the country. I have suspected it some time, but I am now convinced.' Catherine was disconcerted and made no answer, but Lydia, with perfect indifference, continued to express her admiration of Captain Carter and her hope of seeing him in the course of the day as he was going the next morning to London. "'I am astonished, my dear,' said Mrs. Bennet, "'that you should be so ready to think your own children silly. "'If I wish to think slightingly of anybody's children, "'it should not be of my own, however.' "'If my children are silly, "'I must hope to be always sensible of it. "'Yes, but as it happens, "'they are all of them very clever. "'This is the only point, I flatter myself, "'on which we do not agree.' I had hoped that our sentiments coincided in every particular, but I must so far differ from you as to think our two youngest daughters uncommonly foolish. My dear Mr. Bennet, you must not expect such girls to have the sense of their father and mother. When they get to our age, I dare say they will not think about officers any more than we do. I remember the time when I liked a red coat myself very well, and indeed, so I do still at my heart. "'and if a smart young colonel with five or six thousand a year "'should want one of my girls, I shall not say nay to him, "'and I thought Colonel Forster looked very becoming the other night "'at Sir William's in his regimentals.' Mamma cried Lydia, "'my aunt says that Colonel Forster and Captain Carter "'do not go so often to Miss Watson's as they did when they first came. "'She sees them now very often standing in Clark's library.' Mrs. Bennet was prevented replying by the entrance of the footman with a note for Miss Bennet. It came from Netherfield, and the servant waited for an answer. Mrs. Bennet's eyes sparkled with pleasure, and she was eagerly calling out while her daughter read, "'Well, Jane, who is it from? What is it about? What does he say? Well, Jane, make haste and tell us. Make haste, my love!' "'It is from Miss Bingley,' said Jane, and then read it aloud." My dear friend, if you are not so compassionate as to dine today with Louisa and me, we shall be in danger of hating each other for the rest of our lives, for a whole day's tete-a-tete between two women can never end without a quarrel. Come as soon as you can on receipt of this. My brother and the gentleman are to dine with the officers. Yours ever, Caroline Bingley. With the officers, cried Lydia, "'I wonder my aunt did not tell us of that.' "'Dining out,' said Mrs. Bennet. "'That is very unlucky.' "'Can I have the carriage?' said Jane. "'No, my dear, you had better go on horseback, "'because it seems likely to rain, "'and then you must stay all night.' "'That would be a good scheme,' said Elizabeth, "'if you were sure that they would not offer to send her home. "'Oh, but the gentlemen will have Mr. Bingley's chaise "'to go to Merrington, and the hearse have no horses to theirs.' "'I had much rather go in the coach. 
But, my dear, your father cannot spare the horses, I am sure. They are wanted in the farm, Mr. Bennet, are they not? They are wanted in the farm much oftener than I can get them. But if you have got them today, said Elizabeth, my mother's purpose will be answered. She did at last extort from her father an acknowledgment that the horses were engaged. Jane was therefore obliged to go on horseback, and her mother attended her to the door with many cheerful prognostics of a bad day. Her hopes were answered. Jane had not been gone long before it rained hard. Her sisters were uneasy for her, but her mother was delighted. The rain continued the whole evening without intermission. Jane certainly could not come back. This was a lucky idea of mine indeed, said Mrs. Bennet more than once, as if the credit of making it rain were all her own. Till the next morning, however, she was not aware of all the felicity of her contrivance. Breakfast was scarcely over when a servant from Netherfield brought the following note for Elizabeth. My dearest Lizzie, I find myself very unwell this morning, which I suppose is to be imputed to my getting wet through yesterday. My kind friends will not hear of my returning till I am better. They insist also on my seeing Mr. Jones. Therefore do not be alarmed if you should hear of his having been to me. And, excepting a sore throat and a headache, there is not much the matter with me. Yours, etc. Well, my dear, said Mr. Bennet, when Elizabeth had read the note aloud, if your daughter should have a dangerous fit of illness, if she should die, it would be a comfort to know that it was all in pursuit of Mr. Bingley and under your orders. Oh, I am not afraid of her dying. People do not die of little trifling colds. She will be taken good care of. As long as she stays there, it is all very well. I would go and see her if I could have the carriage. Elizabeth, feeling really anxious, was determined to go to her, though the carriage was not to be had, and as she was no horsewoman, walking was her only alternative. She declared her resolution. How can you be so silly, cried her mother, as to think of such a thing, in all this dirt? You will not be fit to be seen when you get there. I shall be very fit to see Jane, which is all I want. Is this a hint to me, Lizzie? said her father, to send for the horses. No, indeed, I do not wish to avoid the walk. The distance is nothing when one has a motive, only three miles. I shall be back by dinner. I admire the activity of your benevolence, observed Mary, but every impulse of feeling should be guided by reason, and in my opinion exertion should always be in proportion to what is required. We will go as far as Meryton with you, said Catherine and Lydia. Elizabeth accepted their company, and the three young ladies set off together. If we make haste, said Lydia as they walked along, perhaps we may see something of Captain Carter before he goes. In Meryton they parted. The two youngest repaired to the lodgings of one of the officer's wives, and Elizabeth continued her walk alone, crossing field after field at a quick pace, jumping over stiles and springing over puddles with impatient activity, and finding herself at last within view of the house, with weary ankles, dirty stockings, and a face glowing with the warmth of exercise. She was shown into the breakfast parlor, where all but Jane were assembled, and where her appearance created a great deal of surprise. That she should have walked three miles so early in the day, in such dirty weather, and by herself, was almost incredible to Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and Elizabeth was convinced that they held her in contempt for it. 
She was received, however, very politely by them, and in their brother's manners there was something better than politeness. There was good humor and kindness. Mr. Darcy said very little, and Mr. Hurst nothing at all. The former was divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given to her complexion, and doubt as to the occasions justifying her coming so far alone. The latter was thinking only of his breakfast. Her inquiries after her sister were not favorably answered. Miss Bennet had slept ill, and though up, was very feverish and not well enough to leave her room. Elizabeth was glad to be taken to her immediately, and Jane, who had only been withheld by the fear of giving alarm or inconvenience from expressing in her note how much she longed for such a visit, was delighted at her entrance. She was not equal, however, to much conversation, and when Miss Bingley left them together, could attempt little besides expressions of gratitude for the extraordinary kindness she was treated with. Elizabeth silently attended her. When breakfast was over they were joined by the sisters, and Elizabeth began to like them herself when she saw how much affection and solicitude they showed for Jane. The apothecary came, and having examined his patient, said, as might be supposed, that she had caught a violent cold and that they must endeavor to get the better of it, advised her to return to bed, and promised her some draughts. The advice was followed readily, for the feverish symptoms increased, and her head ached acutely. Elizabeth did not quit her room for a moment, nor were the other ladies often absent. The gentlemen being out, they had, in fact, nothing to do elsewhere. When the clock struck three, Elizabeth felt that she must go, and very unwillingly said so. Miss Bingley offered her the carriage, and she only wanted a little pressing to accept it, when Jane testified such concern in parting with her that Miss Bingley was obliged to convert the offer of the chaise to an invitation to remain at Netherfield for the present. Elizabeth most thankfully consented, and a servant was dispatched to Longbourn to acquaint the family with her stay and bring back a supply of clothes. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 At five o'clock the two ladies retired to dress, and at half-past six Elizabeth was summoned to dinner. To the civil inquiries which then poured in, and amongst which she had the pleasure of distinguishing the much superior solicitude of Mr. Bingley's, she could not make a very favorable answer. Jane was by no means better. The sisters, on hearing this, repeated three or four times how much they were grieved, how shocking it was to have a bad cold, and how excessively they disliked being ill themselves, and then thought no more of the matter, and their indifference towards Jane, when not immediately before them, restored Elizabeth to the enjoyment of all her former dislike. Their brother, indeed, was the only one of the party whom she could regard with any complacency. His anxiety for Jane was evident, and his attentions to herself most pleasing, and they prevented her feeling herself so much an intruder as she believed she was considered by the others. She had very little notice from any but him. Miss Bingley was engrossed by Mr. Darcy, her sister scarcely less so, and as for Mr. Hurst, by whom Elizabeth sat, he was an indolent man, who lived only to eat, drink, 
and play at cards, who, when he found her to prefer a plain dish to a ragout, had nothing to say to her. When dinner was over, she returned directly to Jane, and Miss Bingley began abusing her as soon as she was out of the room. Her manners were pronounced to be very bad indeed, a mixture of pride and impertinence. She had no conversation, no style, no beauty. Mrs. Hurst thought the same, and added, She has nothing, in short, to recommend her, but being an excellent walker. I shall never forget her appearance this morning. She really looked almost wild. She did indeed, Louisa. I could hardly keep my countenance. Very nonsensical to come at all. Why must she be scampering about the country because her sister had a cold? Her hair so untidy, so blousy. Yes, and her petticoat. I hope you saw her petticoat. Six inches deep in mud. I am absolutely certain. And the gown, which had been let down to hide it, not doing its office. Your picture may be very exact, Louisa, said Bingley, but this was all lost upon me. I thought Miss Elizabeth Bennet looked remarkably well when she came into the room this morning. Her dirty petticoat quite escaped my notice. You observed it, Mr. Darcy, I am sure, said Miss Bingley, and I am inclined to think that you would not wish to see your sister make such an exhibition. Certainly not. To walk three miles, or four miles, or five miles, or whatever it is, above her ankles in dirt, and alone, quite alone, what could she mean by it? It seems to me to show an abominable sort of conceited independence, a most country town indifference to decorum. It shows an affection for her sister that is very pleasing, said Bingley. I am afraid, Mr. Darcy, observed Miss Bingley in a half-whisper, that this adventure has rather affected your admiration of her fine eyes. Not at all, he replied. They were brightened by the exercise. A short pause followed this speech, and Mrs. Hurst began again. I have a excessive regard for Miss Jane Bennet. She is really a very sweet girl, and I wish with all my heart she were well settled. But with such a father and mother, and such low connections, I am afraid there is no chance of it. I think I have heard you say that their uncle is an attorney on Meryton. Yes, and they have another who lives somewhere near Cheapside. That is capital, added her sister, and they both laughed heartily. If they had uncles enough to fill all Cheapside, cried Bingley, it would not make them one jot less agreeable. But it must very materially lessen their chance of marrying men of any consideration in the world, replied Darcy. To this speech Bingley made no answer, but his sisters gave it their hearty assent, and indulged their mirth for some time at the expense of their dear friend's vulgar relations. With a renewal of tenderness, however, they returned to her room on leaving the dining parlor, and sat with her till summoned to coffee. She was still very poorly, and Elizabeth would not quit her at all till late in the evening, when she had the comfort of seeing her sleep and when it seemed to her rather right than pleasant, that she should go downstairs herself. On entering the drawing-room she found the whole party at loo, and was immediately invited to join them, but suspecting them to be playing high, she declined it, and making her sister the excuse, said she would amuse herself for the short time she could stay below with a book. Mr. Hurst looked at her with astonishment. 
Do you prefer reading to cards? said he. That is rather singular. Miss Eliza Bennet, said Miss Bingley, despises cards. She is a great reader and has no pleasure in anything else. I deserve neither such praise nor such censure, cried Elizabeth. I am not a great reader, and I have pleasure in many things. In nursing your sister, I am sure you have pleasure, said Bingley, and I hope it will soon be increased by seeing her quite well. Elizabeth thanked him from her heart, and then walked towards the table where a few books were lying. He immediately offered to fetch her others, all that his library afforded. And I wish my collection were larger for your benefit, and my own credit. But I am an idle fellow, and though I have not many, I have more than I ever looked into. Elizabeth assured him that she could suit herself perfectly with those in the room. I am astonished, said Miss Bingley, that my father should have left so small a collection of books. What a delightful library you have at Pemberley, Mr. Darcy. It ought to be good, he replied. It has been the work of many generations. And then you have added so much to it yourself. You are always buying books. I cannot comprehend the neglect of a family library in such days as these. Neglect! I am sure you neglect nothing that can add to the beauties of that noble place. Charles, when you build your house, I wish it may be half as delightful as Pemberley. I wish it may. But I would really advise you to make your purchase in that neighborhood, and take Pemberley for a kind of model. There is not a finer county in England than Derbyshire. With all my heart, I will buy Pemberley itself if Darcy will sell it. I am talking of possibilities, Charles. Upon my word, Caroline, I should think it more possible to get Pemberley by purchase than by imitation. Elizabeth was so much caught with what passed as to leave her very little attention for her book, and soon, laying it wholly aside, she drew near the card table, and stationed herself between Mr. Bingley and his eldest sister to observe the game. "'Is Miss Darcy much grown since the spring?' said Miss Bingley. "'Will she be as tall as I am?' "'I think she will. She is now about Miss Elizabeth Bennet's height, or rather taller.' How I long to see her again! I have never met with anybody who delighted me so much. Such a countenance, such manners, and so extremely accomplished for her age. Her performance on the pianoforte is exquisite. It is amazing to me, said Bingley, how young ladies can have patience to be so very accomplished as they all are. All young ladies accomplished? My dear Charles, what do you mean? Yes, all of them, I think. They all paint tables, cover screens, and net purses. I scarcely know anyone who cannot do all this, and I am sure I never heard a young lady spoken of for the first time without being informed that she was very accomplished. Your list of the common extent of accomplishments, said Darcy, has too much truth. The word is applied to many a woman who deserves it no otherwise than by netting a purse or covering a screen. "'but I am very far from agreeing with you "'in your estimation of ladies in general. "'I cannot boast of knowing more than half a dozen "'in the whole range of my acquaintance "'that are really accomplished. "'Nor I, I am sure,' said Miss Bingley. "'Then,' observed Elizabeth, "'you must comprehend a great deal in your idea "'of an accomplished woman. "'Yes, I do comprehend a great deal in it.' "'Oh, certainly,' cried his faithful assistant.' 
no one can be really esteemed accomplished who does not greatly surpass what is usually met with. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, and the modern languages, to deserve the word. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air and manner of walking. The tone of her voice, her address and expressions, or the word will be but half deserved. All this she must possess, added Darcy, and to all this she must yet add something more substantial, in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. I am no longer surprised at your knowing only six accomplished women. I rather wonder now at your knowing any. Are you so severe upon your own sex as to doubt the possibility of all this? I never saw such a woman. I never saw such capacity and taste and application and elegance as you describe united. Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley both cried out against the injustice of her implied doubt, and were both protesting that they knew many women who answered this description, when Mr. Hurst called them to order, with bitter complaints of their inattention to what was going forward. As all conversation was thereby at an end, Elizabeth soon afterwards left the room. "'Elizabeth Bennet,' said Miss Bingley, when the door was closed on her, "'is one of those young ladies who seek to recommend themselves to the other sex by undervaluing their own, and with many men I dare say it succeeds, but in my opinion it is a paltry device, a very mean art.' "'Undoubtedly,' replied Darcy, to whom this remark was chiefly addressed, "'there is a meanness in all the arts which ladies sometimes condescend to employ for captivation. "'Whatever bears affinity to cunning is despicable.' "'Miss Bingley was not so entirely satisfied with this reply as to continue the subject. "'Elizabeth joined them again only to say that her sister was worse, and that she could not leave her.' Bingley urged Mr. Jones being sent for immediately, while his sisters, convinced that no country advice could be of any service, recommended an express to town for one of the most eminent physicians. This she would not hear of, but she was not so unwilling to comply with their brother's proposal, and it was settled that Mr. Jones should be sent for early in the morning, if Miss Bennet were not decidedly better. Bingley was quite uncomfortable, his sisters declared that they were miserable. They solaced their wretchedness, however, by duets after supper, while he could find no better relief to his feelings than by giving his housekeeper directions that every attention might be paid to the sick lady and her sister. End of chapter 8 I hope you enjoyed chapters 7 and 8, and I hope you come back next week for chapters 9 and 10. As always, I'd like to thank Annie Coleman, who is the reader volunteer for LibriVox, who did Pride and Prejudice. And I would also like to thank Joshua Christian, who is the musician who did the intro music called Chasing Hero. You can find a blog for this podcast and links to other episodes at craftlit.blogspot.com. Craftlit is all one word, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T. You can also get Craftlit at iTunes. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
That's craftlit, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word. Thanks so much. Have a great week.